optimization schedule is now three week sprints. Don't touch it for three weeks, stack all of your changes at once. Don't touch it again for two to three weeks, stack all of your changes at once. And people that are tinking with their PMAX campaign, they're just resetting learning over and over again. They're never getting out of the learning phase. You're listening to the Google Ads Podcast, brought to you by Solutions Aid, the Google Ads Agency. Welcome to your daily Google News. My name is Kasim, and I'm joined with our strategy team, most of our strategy team anyway, and we're making this a weekly recurring theme where we bring in the best of the best, our best and our brightest, and we're going to talk about topics that should be near and dear to your heart. And today, we're going to throw our skunks on the table. We're going to open the Komodo and talk about every failing Performance Max campaign we've had. And maybe more to the point and more productively, why we think they failed and what we can do in the future to help mitigate that. And so a little context that I'll provide before we dive into the nitty gritty is Performance Max is new. They've been testing it since 2019, but they rolled it out publicly. It's this new thing that we have to contend with. And Google's education, what they tell us to do is wrong. And so we're seeing insane performance in a lot of instances, but we're also seeing some really troubling surprises and some difficulties, some things that are hard to contend with. And so we're going to talk about those. And what I'd love for everybody on this call to think about is not just like what failed, because sometimes it's fun to play the crash and burn game and just tell those stories, but more constructively, if somebody's watching this video, how can we protect them from making our mistakes? And if we were to build a beware of list, which maybe I'll start to do actually while we're talking about this, let's build our beware of list. And by the end of it, maybe we can have something that people could actually have and take with them. So who wants to go first? Who has a crash and burn, just fire yeah. and brimstone PMAX? I'll start with just one and don't run any PMAX for any Legion. We have not been able to make it successful. In two Legion accounts, but I will share why we feel that that's mm -hmm. why in one account it's working. So the two accounts that we were running PMAX for, they don't have proper SEO and their uh, website is not categorized in Google or proper keywords. So as we know, Google PMAX works or advertised on seven channels. The channel is search channel and it has a part of DSA. So uh, PMAX also runs on DSA. So uh, dynamic search ads, if your website is not coming on proper or relevant keywords, then Pmax will not work for you because it will go after keywords that your website is working on in organic SEO or on uh, that Google has categorized you for. So uh, that's why my two Legion account failed because the website was not on Google search console. They haven't categorized it or they haven't indexed it properly. And then it worked on one because they have good SEO authority, like domain authority, their website is ranking for good keywords. So the one thing that we use to check if the website is properly crawled or properly categorized is simply put the website URL in keyword research tool and just put the URL and you will get to know what keywords Google is categorizing your website for. So if all the keywords are relevant, then it's not hundred percent, but the max campaign will work for your Account. And yes. to clarify, keyword research tool is in Google Ads. You just go to tools and mm -hmm. settings and you can find it there under keyword planning. Okay, that's a value bomb from hell right there. So if you're yeah. watching this, go into Google Ads, look at the Google's keyword research tool, drop in your URL. And if the search terms Google comes back and says, hey, we're going to advertise for this. If those are relevant, you're in good shape. If those aren't relevant, then you've got some work to do. And that's four seconds. Like there's no excuse not to do that. It's almost like seeing how the algorithm thinks but, about your website. Like yeah, seeing how it sees. That's exactly right. Yeah. What would you do in situations where they are relevant, but all you're getting is bot traffic? That's what I was kind of going for. 
How'd you avoid all the bots on Carl? What's your secret, Caden? I have a thing that I'm testing right now and I will let you guys know. So we're using John's like long, fields. yeah, just <laughs> ton of fields. So I'm doing that. And then I'm also pairing it with a timer. So I'm seeing like how long people spend going through all the fields. And so the theory is that the more fields you have, there's going to be a bigger discrepancy between someone that fills out something just by going through real quick and spamming it. And someone that really puts time and effort through filling it out. Dude, that and is so, genius. So you've got elapsed time added to what? The conversion tracking? Yeah, to the conversion action for the lead forms. For example, if it's a page or a pop-up, you just have the click ID or the URL and then just attach the timer to that. You can create that. And I was talking to Yvonne about that, actually. You can create it in GTM, yeah. How much time are you action. giving them per form field? Have we figured that out yet? So I'm testing 10 seconds, 12 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and 30 seconds. So if they fill it out too quickly, are they going to a separate thank you page that's just not tracked as a conversion? So not yet. But initially trying to figure out where the delta is. So I don't know, for example, it takes someone, and it's going to vary based on every client. Right. I don't know if it's going to take them like 10 seconds to fill out a form, and then it takes a bot maybe like five seconds or further and further. And so the theory is the more questions you have, the easier it is to see the difference between like spam traffic versus not spam traffic. That is absolutely brilliant. I don't think we're contending with bot traffic. I think we're contending with click farm traffic. That's for click farms, yeah. Right, but click farms, to your point, those people are gonna be way faster at the form fields because they don't care about the inputs. So the note here is add elapsed time to the conversion action. And then before you decide what the line of demarcation is, monitor it so that you can get a census to the, the relative average. And I'm assuming that it's actually not a bell curve in this instance, meaning it's not distributed evenly. It's probably going to be heavily weighted to early stage traffic. Find out where that spike is, and then you'd put your elapsed time right on the, right on, what would we call that? What's the decline called? Any statisticians? I just right call it the slope? delta. But right when it starts to slope down, that's where I would put my line of demarcation. And then you'd split the thank you pages and only give conversion credit to the latter thank you page you could do that or just take off the conversion action or just put it as well i guess you wouldn't want to put a secondary there could be reasons not to do that but you could in theory just take the conversion action off and have the timer just be the filter as well too but then people still form fill and you don't want that bad form fill so you probably want to keep the forms that are relevant that you deemed relevant based off your conversion action and then send the other ones to a non-existent thing you paid like oh we got you i want to fight you though on that in at least early stage, because we don't know that our assumption is right. So I'd want to keep the form so that I could follow up and see like, okay, that is a butter, that is a quick form as opposed, and then maybe I guess what you're saying with some is end result is we would send them to the gotcha sand trap. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I had a question and I lost it. It was going to be brilliant too. It was just going to blow you all away. So I really like that, Kaden. I We've got two Legion accounts that I know of that I'm personally involved with that are working inside of Pmax. And both of them have just wicked long forms. There's Southwest Building Solutions, whose name we can use. And then there's a niche real estate lead generation tool. They're crushing life, but they have Southwest Building Solutions has 17 form fields. Yeah, it's like an aggressive yeah. form. It's very specific. Though. So I'm just going to say use massive forms. Caution. Large. Caution lead forms, yes. I would say it's easier though for phone calls when comes to pmax just in general it's a lot easier to catalyze but we also track record and score all phone calls most people don't do that exactly yeah but we'll just stop bot form fills right it will not stop bot traffic like right. bot traffic will come and Google will charge us for that click. Or and, but when you're optimizing for, for that conversions, click, yeah. it would eventually push that away though. It'll weed those out. But yeah. It's crazy how much of Google's display-based traffic is either bot or click form. Mm. Like it's un it's an open air conspiracy at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Like it feels like it's most of the traffic. Really? 
we're getting charged for this crap. And then you come to find out that it's like a bunch of people with 50 iPhones lined up in front of them all filling out forms professionally, rolling their IP address. Okay, we've got PMAX fail points. Lead gen is super dangerous. Your website has to be SEO'd. Go put your URL instead of Google's keyword research tool to see what Google thinks you're relevant for. Use the lapse time, attach that to conversion action. Caden, I almost want to edit it out of this video. We won't though, we'll leave it because we're good people. Why else do performance max campaigns fail? What else have we seen? It maybe that's surprising too. I know not enough asset groups, but I don't want to do the easy rote and routine ones. People should maybe already know that. Well, not necessarily not enough asset groups. I've seen a fail where the asset group doesn't support your budget. That's what I'll say. So I audit accounts that come through for new prospects. And okay. it's kind of crazy when someone's like, oh, we're spending $60 a day and I have 99 asset groups. And this is an impossible question to answer. But do we have a cost per asset group uh -huh. roughly? We said there are no SOPs in there. We did it. We said every industry is different. It's impossible because, yeah, the industry, the geography, I think FAU responded saying it depends on your cost of traffic. Like if your CPC yeah. is a fraction of a penny, then you can get away with anything. Oh, I was okay. going to say average order value. Like I keep imagining like a X, Y axis where we could say budget versus average order value and kind of decide like how many assets, because average order value kind of indicates how frequently you're going to get conversions. I think, is that right? I don't think so. I think AOV is independent of cost because you can have super high AOVs and super low costs. Those are the industries that everybody wants. So I'm thinking about, remember our tape client? I guess they had a high LTV, but I know what you're saying, Regina, there's yeah. got to be something that is kind of the predictive indicator. I would have to sit down and just make this and then iterate it for weeks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I mean, to that point, I think that there could be like a Google sheet that we build out saying like, what's the cost of traffic? How competitive is the industry? What's your ceiling too? And then how much do you plan on scaling? And those things added together, we could guess, roughly guess at what your budget needs to be per asset group. Mm -hmm. It's weird because we tell people build as many asset groups as you possibly can, which is good advice until it's like, well, now you have to spend more money to test all these asset groups. And so the advice in a silo, build as many asset groups as you possibly can is really good advice until now we're talking about budget too. And now we're like, well, you have to be able to fund all those asset groups. And now the logical question is, is well, how much money do I need to fund the asset groups? And the answer is, I don't know. I think the way you want to think about it is if each asset group can get about a conversion or two a week then it's going to have the patterns and the frequency and the ability to go after remarketing for the person that it's following and all of that. You know what I mean? Like you want it to get frequent conversions. Two conversions a week, for example, would be good because the data gets old. So if each asset group only has enough money to get a conversion every three weeks, it's not frequent enough for it to be able to follow someone around have the remarketing budget available when that person is back and they're searching. And then it's not going to have the patterns because the weather is going to change or the competitor is going to change. And then three weeks is not frequent enough. So I think, I think that's why good. I think about average order value, because you can kind of take your budget and divide it by no. Okay. You're right. It's cost per conversion, not average order value. But I like what you're saying. Cost. The cost per conversion, you'd have to run first and test it. But once you've identified your cost per conversion, and I like your line of demarcation at two per week, I think that that's actually pretty valid. It's a valid minimum. Hopefully it's more, but it's a valid minimum because at two per week, you should start to see optimization, adequate optimization for an early stage campaign. So let's say using round numbers that your cost per conversion is $10. Let's say if you need two per week, that's 20 per asset group. And if you have 50 asset groups, that's easy to cascade across. Exactly. Yeah. That's as good a nap test as I can think of. We need kind of a guideline. Like there will be exceptions like that tape client, but I think we should build that and see how it goes. So I'm going to ask the other strategists. I think the logic here is really sound. How do y'all feel about the number two, two conversions per week in an asset group? Should that be more, less? What's the, the number of asset groups you have? Because overall your campaign is going to be performing 
performing based off overall campaign performance. The calculator would spit out how much asset groups you can have. So you put in your budget, you put in your cost per lead, and then all it does is it divides the budget by the cost per lead and tells you how many asset groups you can have because you need each asset group to get two conversions a week. Well, it's very chicken and egg though, because now what we're telling people is build all the asset groups you can build. And our current SOP, which we're about to train people on is take all your product categories. Let's say you have five, take all your audiences. Let's say you have five and then multiply them. And so if I have five product categories and five audiences, I'll have 25 asset groups. So now if I have 25 asset groups to the point that Regina's making, we'd want to see how many conversions per asset group we would want in order to properly optimize the campaign. But I guess what ends up happening though, is you end up with a Pareto distribution inside of your asset groups where 20% of your asset groups are getting 80% of your conversions. So you would want to arm your asset groups with enough funds to achieve at least two conversions per asset group, but also with the understanding that most of the asset groups aren't going to, but you'd want to take money off of the table as to why they, mm. so you'd want to have enough money there for them to achieve that. And then once you've reached that critical mass from a spend threshold perspective, when an asset group fails, you at least know it failed, not because it wasn't well-funded. Yeah. I think that's really sound logic there, Regina. I want to back you on that. My only question again is whether it's two conversions per week, one, five, like how do we feel? Two sounds good to me, by the way. I'm not fighting you. I just want to see what the other strategists think. I don't know about that because I'm also thinking about the CPC. So let's, um, for an example, let's say my average cost per acquisition is $70. So I need two conversions. You're saying for an asset group, I need $140 a day, right? For a week. All right. So $20 for an asset group. So if I have five, it'll be 100. I don't know. That's a tough if logic to build upon. But your CPCs are too low. I just base it off the total number of conversions I get over like 30 days. What, to that point though, no matter what, it is something that we're backing into. It's not something that we're telling the client up front, like, oh, you have to spend this much for this asset group. It's build it, run it. And then we will tell you, generally speaking, what we think you need to spend in order to, you want to be able to cover all of your asset groups with enough spend. It's a weird paradigm to assume because you actually want to spend enough to let things fail. Because 80% of your asset groups are going to fail. 80% of your ads are going to fail. 80% of your offers are going to fail. But you don't know what's going to fail until you spend enough money. So we yeah, need to spend right. enough money My to point, let things fail. I want to say Google does not only optimize for conversion. So for an example, you can have two ads. One will have more conversions and better conversion rates. But two has better CTR. You can see that Google can sometimes spend more money on B, even though the first one it has a better conversion rate. So it doesn't only optimize for conversions. In my cases, I have two accounts for this example. We checked our asset groups. We checked the products. We have a hero product. And let's say it was spending 50% of its budget and the conversion rate was fine. It was around two, not two, three to four, but the ROAS was two and the client goal is three. So our hero product was spending half of our budget and since the conversion rates are 3%, 4%, Google was thinking, hey, I'm, I'm killing it. So I'm going to put more money into it. I'm going to spend half of it. I'm going to spend 60% of the budget. But at the end of the month, you will see that you're not hitting your goal and actually you are losing money. So you have to be careful. Check your listing groups frequently and see if somebody is taking too much. You don't want to have false positive. Check your listing groups frequently. And what are we looking for there with listing groups specifically? We're looking for overspend, like overcommitments categorically. How much money did this asset group spend in shopping? You can also check your products and send by clicks. So you'll see that, let's say you spent $1,000. Sometimes you see that 500 of those went to a single product and it has good conversion rate, but bad ROAS. You have to be careful with that. What I did was I pulled that out. I created its own performance max campaign. 
gave it a budget that is reasonable. So let's say my daily spend was $200. It was generating 2X. So I said, I'm going to spend $50 in this. So A, I'll have volume and the client will be happy that I'm still advertising for the hero product, but I have to spend 115 elsewhere and get that 4X to have to meet the goal by the end of the month. So I love this FA as an SOP. This is really sharp. So if you have a product that is monopolizing spend, we still want to market that product. The general rule, 80% rule is split that product out into its own PMAX campaign so you can dedicate spend to that campaign. Now I'm going to throw some grenades at you. I agree with what you're saying and I like it, but I also want to stress test this a little bit. You'd have to make sure that product's conversion value is actually the sale of that product, right? Because oftentimes somebody coming in on that product is buying other products. And if yeah. you take that product out of that PMAX campaign, you kill that cross-pollination capability. So in order for this SOP to be true, that product's when people are clicking on that product, they have to be buying that product. Because for those watching, in case you don't know, if somebody clicks on that product and buys another product, the product they click on still gets the ROAS credit. And if you took that product out of the, the PMAX campaign, then you'd kill that kind of incestuous relationship. It's a risk you have to take because like I said, Google is not going to optimize only for your conversion. So let's say you sell dresses and shoes. Let's say dresses have 100,000 search volumes and shoes have 10,000. Since this will have a good CTR and a better volume, you may not give a chance to low search items. So you have to be careful. Yes, Kasim's point is right. If I remember correctly, number was 65%. 35% of the time, somebody is going to click on an ad and buy something else. So that's your odds. But 35% of the time, is that your anecdotal experience? I, know, I think it was either HubSpot or Hootsuite. Dude, that's great to know. Thank you for that. So, Which, by the way, would make cool. sense based on what I've seen just poking around campaigns. There is a cross-pollination thing that happens that advertisers don't realize happens. Everybody thinks it's, oh, click and purchase. People are dumb lemmings and they click on an ad and they buy the thing. And it's like, no, they don't do that at all, ever. Like they click, they view, they watch, they bounce, they leave, they come back, they tell a friend, they use their wife's phone, and then maybe they buy the other thing. And to Google's point, yeah, I heard that when you click on Performance Max A, the click will not be shared with Performance Max B. But since as an agency, we don't believe anything Google says, like I still have doubts about that because the machine is smart and the AI is still learning. It it happened in smart shopping where the smart shopping campaigns would not cross pollinate. And we learned that the hard way. We advise people to split smart shopping campaigns and that advice hurt campaigns. So I'm inclined to believe them in this instance, just because I think that whatever mechanism they're using for cross pollination, I think it appears to exist in both of those campaign types. Yeah. My thinking was just this. If Performance Max A got to click and said, all right, it got into the website. It looks at different stuff, but I tried this in remarketing is not clicking. So I'm done with this user. A, B, we're not going to follow that. I don't know. I see what you're saying. Here's a question is Performance Max doesn't remarket well at all anyway. So if I have Performance Max campaign A, Performance Max campaign B, and a dynamic remarketing campaign, will that cover both of them agnostically? I'm assuming yes, right? Yeah. We have new metrics now. So it's more data and you're still getting that glitz, but it's 80% new. So once the smart shopping was 80% remarketing. So it would take a long time. Smart shopping says, hey, I'm done with you, right? I'm done chasing you. What about performance max? It's 20% returning users. So it may be done with the client, with the user more quickly and B can follow it up. So it's just a theory. I cannot back it 
out with data. If some of your item is spending too much money and doesn't get the enough ROAS, it's not hitting your goal. And you are a small business. You don't have the luxury to wait around like three months, four months, five months, six months to let Google learn. You have to do something because people pick out what we say. A lot of our clients come to me and say, hey, John said this. Why aren't you doing this? And I want to say, hey, if you watch it fully, John also says, hey, I'm spending $5,000 on this PMAX campaign, right? You're spending a hundred. Uh, you said something else, F.A., that I want to key in on as far as why performance max campaigns fail is you have to leave them alone. Don't touch it. Yeah. Build it. Let it run for six weeks, unencumbered. And then even in, in optimization, our optimization schedule is now three-week sprints. Don't touch it for three weeks. Stack all of your changes at once. Don't touch it again for two to three weeks. Stack all of your changes at once. And people that are tinkering with their PMAX campaign, they're just resetting learning over and over again. They're never getting out of the learning phase. Yeah, that's the other point. A lot of things changed in the agency. Like before, it was more about specialists. Now it's more about client managers. They have to calm the clients. They Hey, we're doing something just because you don't see any changes in the change history doesn't mean that we're not working. But a lot of the people think that you didn't change anything. You just build it. You just sit down. Well, I've actually said this on a sales call recently. I think I'm going to make it part of my standard narrative is it is to optimize something, right? Just because you're not pressing a button doesn't mean we still have to check. We have to open the account. We have to check the campaign. We have to monitor the data. You still need to go in and look. You're just at the end of the day where we used to like, oh, I'd add a negative keyword or I'd make a bit adjustment or whatever. Yeah. Now we're not doing that. We're caching all of that to come for the sprint. And when you cache a change, you have to do an internal, what I would call an impact report. How does this change stack up against the 10 other changes that I plan on making. So it didn't get easier. It's not like, oh, we get to optimize our time and make all of our changes every three weeks. We're not waiting for three, open the hood and be like, all right, I'm going to do these 15 things. Let's look at this, monitor it, decide what it is we're going to do. It's so much harder because now there's a multivariant problem. It's not like I get to make a change and see the impact. It's come up with every improvement that needs to happen on this campaign and then think through how each of those improvements is going to tie in with each other and themselves. This horribly complex web it's more difficult than it's ever been. And if people are paying us to make changes, go, there's so many software applications, PPC Samurai. We used to use PPC Samurai. I've got friends, close friends, who I love dearly, by the way, so I'm not bashing them. <laughs> they build in changes intentionally to show a high change history because they're tired of having this conversation with clients. So we could do that exact same thing. I could automate arbitrary and worthless changes just so change history looks really robust. I could show you 500 changes a day. The changes don't matter at all. So if you're trying to hire somebody to make changes, go hire a nephew, put him through a, a weekend Google ads course. He'll make all the changes you want. Like, God bless you. I'm rooting for you. That got way more aggressive than I meant for it to be. Who else has reasons PMAX campaigns fail? Yeah, I have one more. Okay. So we are doing our job, right? We have one job right. to structure Google page, right? So we are doing our part, right? But we are not tracking how the user is behaving when he goes on the website. So my thought process is there is a one user converts. It's 50%. Like we can give credit 50% goes to Google ads and then 50% goes to the website. But mm. in most of our clients doesn't track or doesn't watch how user behaves on their website. So, so right now what I'm doing with my Legion clients or some e-com clients is that I'm trying or I'm convincing the client to install Microsoft Clarity. So what Microsoft Clarity does, it's a free software from Microsoft, which gives scroll map, I think, then recordings and then click tracking. So once a user lands on the site, it tracks the user behavior. It's important because we get more data, like where users leaving, like on which stage, let's say we have seen 30% of our visitors or our users went to add to cart and then they leave the page. So 
we can go on add to cart and check what's the problem like where people are leaving what's the drop off and we can try to optimize that step or else let's like using a landing page so we can check where people are so where are the heat maps where they are spending their time like on which part of the website then we can work on that like yes schedule free appointment we will not get that data in google ads or google analytics but in microsoft clarity or other heat map softwares we will get that data and then we can work on improving our cta we can change the cta and we can again check what's the heat map for that section or for that cta and then we can work on that so I think we should and most of our clients do that but we should track our user behavior like mm. user behavior on our site It's funny because Google Ads used to be so bottom of the funnel all you mm. had to do is track conversions and then you knew yep. what was happening because performance max is full funnel you actually have to track the efficacy of the funnel which is something yep. that Google Ads agencies aren't used to doing What the other thing that I think is interesting is Uncar you're one of the smartest people I've ever known I truly respect and value you but the fact that you're pushing a Microsoft product man it just makes me wonder like if you've crossed over <laughs> yeah. to there's something wrong or it is free that's why I'm promoting I think that's a really good point I think that people tracking the efficacy of their funnel because performance max if it dies on the entry level steps and you're just tracking inside of Google Ads you're never going to know yeah and i've seen a lot of website so there is one rule we should follow when we are like promoting a landing page or a website we should optimize our above the fold so above the fold means the section that you land on first or section that you see first on the website so you should always optimize or you should always match the ad copy that you are using in the ad and what is on the landing page so let's say on ad copy we are saying 15% off on chainsaw and on website we are on above the fold we are not promoting it there is nothing mentioning 15% off mm. on chainsaw then that's a mismatch right so I think people don't look at it it's important to match the value proposition in ads and on the landing can we push utm parameters per asset group no cuz that would be cool cuz then you could just do dynamic text mm -hmm. insertion grab the utm and then modify the promo by asset group why do, man that doesn't make any damn sense to me why can't we push utm by asset that feels like an easy that's yeah, i mean they already have mechanism the problems you can't see asset group performance you can't see the channel source for the conversions you don't even know where is your money going before that you have so many things to have I wonder if we couldn't hack it like if we used a really special string of characters in every headline description and I guess alt text for images doesn't apply so just but hear me through use a special string of characters for every headline and description of every ad that gets pushed through on the UTM parameters cuz you can include ads in UTM as an include file and then on page you now capture that special line and then proxy it saying oh it's whatever line it is so this is the 15% off asset group It's a wacky ass roundabout but I think we could make yeah. it work if we wanted to. Yeah. And actually what we could do there is we could start to see which asset group we could see asset group performance. You could yeah, build your own internal analytics tool around asset group performance. It would work way better with search and DSA. It probably wouldn't work for display. How are display you assets? Work with DSA. In DSA you cannot define headline. So you would only have the search But you can define descriptions. Yeah. But I guess oh. the description doesn't come through the UTM is what you're saying. So you're right I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know either. If somebody's watching this who's way better at analytics so we are let us know if this is something that anyway y'all i think this was great uh, last words to the strategists how do y'all feel pmax there's a bunch of, now here's the thing is there's a bunch of, we're trying to show you our pmax fill points that doesn't mean don't use it like i still think it's the most powerful marketing mechanism i've ever seen in my entire life it's like when you give a toddler a super soaker your stuff's going to get wet you know what i mean you have to know how to use it so last words to the strategists going around any any closing words for our listeners or viewers 
I was going to say, whatever you do, don't talk about one product or service in one headline and a different product or service in a description because the algorithm is not great at matching up headlines and descriptions to the right product and service. That's a rookie mistake that we made in the early stages of PMAX. Yeah, it's an easy one to make too. I think everybody who launches a new yeah. campaign, they're just, it's just hard to get acclimated to how flexible all of those things are. Yeah. You want to think about what's being searched for and then only talk about those things in that asset group. So unfortunately, you do have to have asset groups that are divided by your products or product categories or services. Well said. Ankar, closing words. Yeah, work on ad copy because performance max is full funnel, right? Doesn't mean that you have to work on ad copy. If you just use bottom of the funnel ad copy, like product specific, if you write just product specific ad copy, it will not take unaware audience. They don't know what you sell or what product you have. You can create classic groups or else try to combine headlines, description, and long headlines cater to all the audience, like unaware audience, product aware audience, and then bottom of the funnel audience. That's a great note. What's the old cliche, features tell, benefits sell? Well said. Efe, last words. It's it's mid-June. You have 15 days. Whether you like it or not, Pmax will be the only option you'll have. So Yeah, especially for e-com. <laughs> well, local too, right? Pmax is replacing local. Is it in July or is it later? August. Okay. So smart shopping's going away. All local campaigns are going away and performance max. Do you think they'll take DSA away? Oh, no. I don't know. I don't know. The industry oh, is actually scary. I think they're going to take away everything. So we should definitely be ready. The keywordless future. Yeah. Cool. Y'all did a great job. If you're watching this, we shoot a video every day. Like, comment, subscribe, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Google Ads Podcast. For more ways to grow your business with Google Ads, you can subscribe to the Solutions 8 YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to work with the best Google Ads agency in the world, you can visit Solutions8 at sol8.com. Custom here. If you're running Google Ads, even if your campaigns are successful, my years of experience have taught me that there are almost always enormous improvement opportunities. Now, what if the best Google Ads agency in the world was willing to review your Google Ads campaigns for free and provide you with a comprehensive action plan, no cost or obligation. Notice, I didn't say audit or evaluation, I said action plan. A bullet point by bullet point breakdown of exactly what needs to be done to improve your Google Ads campaigns. Yours to keep, no cost or obligation. Head over to solate.com to get a free Google Ads action plan customized for your business. No strings attached. That's sol8.com, sol, the number eight, dot com.